Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. Guys, we had Sagar from Breaking Points podcast on the episode today. We talk about why mainstream media sucks and how to fix it. Not just a problem, but a solution. The end of that problem. A few takeaways for you today. Number one, we talk about mainstream media, why it's broken, and the prescription of how to fix it. Number two, we talk about advice Sagar has for crypto media. How do we make sure we don't become them? You know who I mean by them. (laughs) Number three, we talk politics because we had to. Sagar's into politics. uh, And we asked him about the candidates, his guests on the likely candidate for the 2024 U.S. election. And is all of this going to lead to civil war? Is a question on our minds. Number four, what does Sagar think of the whole FTX thing? He lost money in BlockFi, it turns out. He watched the SBF plus four he's debate. He's been in crypto since Blagi introduced him to crypto in 2017. But after this, has he written it all off? That was a question for him today. And it was good to get Sagar's perspective, who is a talented, I think, content creator outside of crypto, but shares some of our core values, David. What are your thoughts going into this episode? Yeah, after just talking to Sagar, I'm just so proud of him, man. He yeah. he and Crystal went up against uh like teeth and nails, which is mainstream media. He went up against the system, the the composed network of incentives that keeps the elites in power, keeps the mainstream media companies in power, keeps the Democrats and the Republicans in power. And him and Crystal just said, F it. You guys are just a bunch of acting charades, and we need real media, a new, real, honest, authentic media institution out there. And so they made breakpoints. And I couldn't be more proud of, of Sagar and Crystal, even though I don't. I just talked to Sagar for an hour and a half. I haven't talked to Crystal at all. But just like we need too. people like that in the world to make sure that we don't go backwards as a society. So that's really just the impression I've been left with after this episode. Yeah, it's definitely a kindred spirit, and uh, the work they're doing over there is uh, is pretty cool. And we 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 felt some of the shared values and kinship with uh, with Bankless. Um, I I think it's also good to get sort of somebody on the outside of the crypto bubble their perspective on this whole crazy space. And uh, so there's a lot of that conversation too. Of course, premium subscribers, make sure you stick around because David and I are about to have an epic debrief conversation about what we really think about Sagar. <laughs> it's all good things, I think. I really enjoyed him, David. But if you want to tune in to get our raw, unfiltered thoughts, make sure you click the link in the show notes if you're a pr- premium subscriber. If you're not, consider becoming a premium subscriber. You get all of this content and a slew of other features when you upgrade, including the private premium RSS feed. With no ads. Yeah, no ads. All right, speaking of which, we will go right to our conversation with Sagar. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless Nation, we are super excited to introduce you to Sagar and Jetty. He's the co-host of a fantastic podcast I go to for all things politics. It's called Breaking Points. Crystal Ball is his co-host. This is kind of an anti-establishment political news sort of podcast. I think there's some kindred spirit with uh, what we're doing over here at Bankless. They launched in June 2001. Breaking Points right now has 850,000 subscribers. Let's just round that up to a million subscribers, <laughs> which is uh, pretty hard to do, I must say. Sagar, welcome to Bankless. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, we're excited to talk to you because there's a number of things we want to pick your brain about. But like one thing that I think you have in common with probably people in crypto is um, you guys see that some of the machines 
that run our society. Some of the institutions, let's call them, are, are kind of broken right now. And so we want to talk about a few of those. We want to talk about media, that institution. We want to talk about politics. We want to talk about the economy. Um, but before we get there, David and I are about to get on a, uh, doing an interview with a politician, Senator uh, Pat Toomey. He's coming on the podcast. He's got like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, he's rescheduled a couple times, Classic. but we're going to yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, we don't talk to many politicians, but I know you're in that world and you do. What, like, what's your advice? What should we, uh, what should we talk about? Uh, yeah. So number one, don't let the handlers handle anything. They're going to try and say he's late. They're going to try and say he's got a hard cutoff. Let the senator go when the senator needs to go. Okay. Uh, that's number one. So they always give you a short and a fake time frame, and they always reschedule, and they always want to try and keep you off the game. <laughs> okay. Number two, these people do this for a living. They're filibusterers, so, and they have scripts. They're perfect. They know how to launch exactly into them. So They're my, better than number, podcasters at this? Oh, they're, they're good at this. They, they, are the, they are the kings of saying nothing with as much time as possible. <laughs> uh, the way that you get this job is by being an arch narcissist and also being boring. And so this is uh, this is their turf. So I would really just try throw them off their game, ask them something interesting, um, try to get to the value almost as soon as possible. I find it useful to let them uh, get their script out within about five minutes and then start to dive in a little bit because they feel like they don't have to revert back to but it's oh, a real so he's dance. gonna come in real he's dance. gonna come in with something to say then he's got like, an agenda rehearse thing. right yeah i mean in my opinion they're not going to agree to do an interview with you unless they have something that they want to right. and I, we don't have to get into the circumstance i'm assuming it's like some legislation he's or, like the uh, only he's the only crypto friendly senator on the banking uh committee everyone else yeah. hates crypto right and uh you know this is like you know the fdx aftermath i'm mm-hmm. sure you guys talked about it a little bit um this is after that so I don't know what I mean. I think he's he's like we're we're going to talk to him as if you know he is one of the few crypto friendly senators who's come out and been like crypto is great and here's why. So we want to talk right. about that, but he might have some other ideas of why he's coming on. Yeah, I would I would just try to drill down into him. Like what like why are you you know a fun question would be why are you here? Like, <laughs> why you what come is on you? Yeah, yeah. Why are you here? Do you want to start make, with that, David? Making yeah. it just <laughs> super meta. I'm always a fan yeah. of making it meta because it makes people yeah. uh, step back on their heels. Sagar, exactly. is there any uh, is there any politician that doesn't fit that mold, or are they all universally like this? I think once you get elected, so before they get elected, some of them can be fun. Um, so, and I know some people before they get elected, and they'll talk a little bit more off the cuff. But you know, there's so many constituencies and right. internal. So, you know, what we were talking, you were say, referencing systems, institutions. Like the risk is so high. If you say the wrong thing, you will just get killed here in Washington, even if you say the truth. So, hmm. it can cause you some serious problems. I would just, in general, like that's why I really despise and, and generally don't talk to a lot of politicians whenever they're asking to come on. Uh, you know, people will come on, but I want to talk about this one thing. I'm like, yeah, but you don't get to decide. And in general, the way that it works is that cable news is very accommodating because they have very short periods of time where you can come on and hawk your stupid bill or get the attention that you deserve. The system is really not designed to get into anything nitty gritty. And unfortunately, like when you really talk to these people, you're like, you don't know anything. Like like, a long form podcast. Yeah. Is it the time constraint? Is it the time constraint that makes that meta reality? I think that they love the time constraint. Uh, mm. The time constraint works on both ends, right? So cable, by definition, is short bursts in between advertising. That's their true market. They need to serve that. They just Their job is to fill time in between ad breaks. Politicians' job is to say something as inoffensive as possible while also advancing X, Y, or Z agenda. So it's really a match made in heaven. Like the format mm. is born for each other. 
the people who actually listen, though, and are like affected by this, it's not really to their benefit at all. So, so does this our format of media where uh, we have like 90 minute long podcasts yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we we don't have like this cable news high production thing like is that is this format of media like this? This has to be difficult for them. This is like almost hostile oh, territory are. for them. It, it, you know what it is? It's uncertainty. They, mm. these, most of them, these people are old. They're really old and they don't understand what's going on here. Most of their staff tells them to do it because they know it's cool. Like they know it's a thing, but they, then they don't really understand what it is. They don't consume it. And the real issue is that people in Washington, they really don't consume, especially our type of podcast. If you really ask people around here, like what podcasts do you listen to? It's either going to be pop culture or pod save America, God forbid. Mm. And so it's just, it's, it really is like unidirectional in terms of the media that they consume and are familiar with they think a five-minute spot on morning joe is like you made it you know really that's, that's oh yeah that's yeah, still it yeah. that's still oh, pinnacle yeah, yeah very not like so. joe rogan or anything like that i haven't <laughs> <Okay>. taken <laughs> <laughs> when i when i went on rogan um afterwards i only had one person who worked on capitol hill who reached out who was like wow. hey that was really interesting um mm-hmm. when i used to do fox news it was endless because like when you say rogan yeah. is way more influential than like yes. morning joe like well, to, I mean, it's on who, you know, and and this is the most important voters. thing. Like, not that they care about. Okay, but they don't care about voters. No, they care what? about the system. Yeah, they they <laughs> we'll care about that. talking to each other. So everything has a function. Like everyone's always like, why does how can X, Y, and Z paper still exist? And I'm like, because the 500 people who read it are you know all work in the Pentagon. And mm. so like if you if you want to influence Ukraine policy. Are you better off on breaking points or are you better off on the New York Times editorial page? Obviously, on the New York Times editorial page. Why? Because the Secretary of Defense will read it. I could have a segment with, let's say, a million views, something like that, of critiquing Ukraine. Nobody here is going to watch it. So, you know, average Joe might watch it, but like what realistic power do they have over the State Department and the Defense Department? And unfortunately, message to all of you who are listening, you basically have zero. I have zero, so you have less than me. Wow. Is it literally just a delineation between just like the many and the elites? As in like New York Times is like the elite uh, media institution that's yeah. read by elites to talk about elite things. And then there's podcasts, which is like, you know, the many. Is, right. it, is, it, is that the delineation here? Call them Absolutely. <laughs> Look at this podcast. It has a huge audience. It's very influential. You know, I was talking, Ryan, uh, right before you came on. I think it's actually crazy that you guys are not getting the due in kind of the SBF TikTok write-up. A TikTok in journalism is like the step-by-step-by-step. Because it's very clear that it all really began in the Eric Voorhees SBF confrontation. Oh, you saw that. That happened. Of course I did. Um, That happened on your show. And I'm like, okay, that precipitated this, precipitated this, which precipitated the crash. Have you read a New York Times article that referenced it? No. No. Mm -mm. But I'm aware of it because, you know, I exist online. And (laughs) I think it is uh, actually a – it's criminal to not include that interview because it takes it back to, like, the genesis – of how it all started. So it's complicated. I mean, I, what I really think about it is, and you guys are familiar, CNBC. You know, CNBC, nobody watches CNBC. But the 100,000 people who do, they're all multimillionaires, traders, and billionaires. So, like, if you do a one, we call it a hit, you know, in cable news. Like, you do a hit, which is, like, a, an appearance on cable television. One appearance on CNBC, it can move markets. It can set the, you know, the discourse on fire. And that has tremendous effect on federal reserve policy you know what some something that a lot of people don't take notice of was that story that jerome powell has a secret twitter 
He has like a sleeper Twitter. He does. Like Jerome he has Powell. He an account? Yeah. He's an Anon account. Oh, God. Jerome Powell is on econ Twitter. So we have what? 15, 25, let's say 25 people who are like really, really big on econ Twitter. Those people have massive influence, right? On literally on the the thoughts of the Federal Reserve <laughs> chairman. So understanding like who the people in power and what they listen to and what they watch. This is why I spend a lot of time critiquing the mainstream media, even though on some metrics, like we may be bigger than them, is I understand where power actually lies. I'm, like, I'm just like picturing in my brain power, like chip posting memes. With his <laughs> <account>. <laughs> <laughs> he probably has. <laughs> Let's be honest. Oh man, that must be a crazy place to live if you're power though. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we've had we've had a few conversations with politicians. In the fact, you know who's been okay though? I think mm. is um, I think you guys have had him on, Andrew Yang. Yeah, um, well, I feel he's, like he's in a league of his own, right? Yeah, he does. Right. It's a little bit different than the soundbite. You actually get to Definitely. hear what he thinks. But okay, let's talk about media for for sure. a minute. I do want to come back to your thoughts on SBF because we're super curious to hear about. We're, we're trying to make the documentary at least anyway. <laughs> oh, one of yeah, the documentaries yeah. depends on who hear, makes it. Apparently, but but before we get there, let's talk a little bit about um, mainstream media as one of the the three um, heads of this Hydra that's kind of an institution that, that's failing. But I, I think in order to talk about that story, uh, folks at Bankless should uh, get a little familiar with what you guys are doing at Breaking Points because this sort of breaks the mold and is maybe part of the uh, the antidote. So could you tell us the the genesis story of Breaking Points? Like, sure. How, how, yeah, how'd you get there and what is it? Yeah, so what happened is is that I guess we have to go farther back. So it, it's it's about the careers of Crystal and I. So Crystal, you know, ran for Congress unsuccessfully, but started doing some cable news, got picked up by MSNBC, had her own show with three other people, which eventually got canceled in 2015. Now, the reason why that's important is that Crystal had a cable news background, hated being on cable news, was actively pushed out of MSNBC for being critical of Hillary Clinton and her corruption. She was literally did a straight to camera monologue in 2014 saying, Hillary, please don't run um, because of corruption and ties to the Clinton Foundation. Anyway, we can go on to that. And she was eventually called into the head of NBC News's office. And they said that if you ever talk about Hillary again, you have to clear it with the head of the network because the Clinton campaign called them and were like, if you ever do anything like this again, we'll cut your access off, you know, to Hillary and presumably the future president. Yeah, this is real this stuff. Right? Are you kidding What? No, yeah, this is all real. It's totally real. So that's on one end. So Crystal was fired by MSNBC effectively because of that. Um, second was like my career. I was a White House correspondent. You know, I kind of like reached, I'd like made it. Um, and what I mean by that is like in town, if you're a guy, you can get called on by the president. You, I had four interviews with President Trump. The press team and I had an adversarial but good relationship as in they like trusted me. They're like he's not one of these guys who's going to talk about Mueller. I had my pick of jobs in terms of being another White House correspondent somewhere else. I could have been like a regime player like for my whole life. I would have been fine. Um but I hated it because <laughs> I just I hated the job and I really hated Why? it. Why? What sucked Be- about it? Well, I mean, being in the press briefing room, like you you you're amongst the top people in your field. Mm. And so one of the best advice I ever got from someone was if you what you really need to do is check yourself in a career is look at somebody who's 10 years ahead of you and be like, do I want that job? Hmm. And I was looking at Jim Acosta and all these other clowns in the briefing room just clowning themselves for some extra minutes on cable TV. And I was like, this is fake. I was like, this, can I curse here? Is it OK? Yeah, yes. All right. I was like, this crypto. is all bullshit. This is bullshit. You know? And so I'm like, what about people who like actually want to know what's going on? Because I'm like, this is all 
a play. It's an internal drama. It, it was all drama. just a massive charade. It was just it's like, a charade for every, each other, which is what makes right. it worse, right? Right. It's like yes. everyone is playing for their friends and for their right. own jobs. It's like political and theater. I'm, it's theater at the worst level. And I'm like, well, what about all these people? I, mean, I grew up, I love the news. I've always loved the news. I'm politically active because I was against the Iraq war, hated George W. Bush. And I was like, I want to understand like what is happening here. Like how can such a horrific event like the Iraq war happen? And then the financial crisis, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is going on anymore. I'm like, what, what is happening? <laughs> you know, it's like, and so like I, because I'm a millennial, you know, I'm 30 years old. And I was like, I have no trust in institutions. And I'm looking around and I don't feel like anybody is really speaking as to like why Trump is even in the president in the first place. It's the right wing media is kissing his ass. I was getting a lot of, um, I was getting a lot of appearances on Fox and I was like, I just, I hate this. And what really broke me was I had to do this panel about nationalism in the United States. There were three people on the panel and it lasted five minutes. And I was like, you know, I have a lot to say about this. I was like, I've read a lot of books. I've I've thought really deeply about like the American character, like who we are, like why Trump is president, what this unique moment. And I got like maybe 35, 40 seconds. And at this whole time, like I'm a podcast guy, like since I'm like 22 years old, like I've just been binging podcasts. And so I know an alternative exists. So that's the pretext. Then what happens is that Crystal was doing a show with another guy named Buck Sexton, who's actually very successful right now, but it was more traditional, like left, right. The initial inception was like cable news on television and they were onto something. Clearly, as the success of our show shows. But, and it was at the hill, thehill.com. But he was leaving and him and I knew each other. And he was like, hey, man, why don't you come sub in for me? And I met Crystal and it just really clicked. Like we were really both interested in, in deeper problems going on in America. And uh, yeah, look, we paired up, got very lucky, started posting on YouTube. And honestly, like it really, like I'm still shocked. It was an overnight success. Like within three months, we went from basically zero YouTube subscribers on the hill to like 100,000. Uh, within six months, it was like six, 700,000, something oh like God. that. It just, it went, you know, sky so, high. Wait, and then we went on Rogan. Uh, so that was, uh, yeah, it was 2019. Okay. Uh, like it was June of 2019. And by 2020, I think we had like, six or seven hundred thousand in a year we went on rogan and that put us up to like 1.3 million something like that amazing on the hills youtube channel but the problem was is we were still working for corporate media like a dc based institution and the fact is like we became too big like the ethos that we wanted to live by just were not ones that i like you had to you have to censor yourself or could say certain things or was it style or what so it, it, none of it is direct. It's all a product of their business. So I've told these two stories before, but these are just the ones that involve me. There's many more like this. One was Maxine Waters, who you're probably familiar with. Um, so here's what I said on on the Hill when I was there. I was like, Maxine Waters will be chairwoman of the Financial Services Committee till the day she dies. That's all I said. Because I said in reference to the seniority system, and it was about why I think the seniority system is bad for committee chairmanships and why the Democrats should get away, do away with that. Her press secretary called like my boss's boss at the Hill and said that I was threatening Maxine Waters' life by saying that. What? Yeah, effectively threatened them and told them that if I did not apologize, that they were going to pull out of an event with the Hill. Now, why does that matter? The way that The Hill and The Washington Post and all these people make their money is they do events with politicians which are sponsored by like Bank of America, like some major bank, right? So this is like major catastrophe. 
Now, I didn't apologize. I said, fuck you. I'm not going to apologize. Um, nice. And uh, <laughs> it, event, it like was smoothed over. But, like I would be lying if that was not up in my head every single time I talk about Maxine Waters. And then another one happened with TikTok. I, was, I did a whole thing about all these former U.S. government officials based on publicly available data working for TikTok. And I was like, this is bullshit. You know, these people are working for the cybersecurity head under Obama. And now they're TikTok's head of trust and safety, whatever. Um, I was like, this is ludicrous. It's a mockery. And again, TikTok, they called my bosses. They said that I was doxing them, that I was threatening them, that I needed to apologize, all this stuff. And like, you know, the, the pressure gets turned up. Again, I did the same thing. I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I was like, again, fuck you. Like, I, I will say nothing. Um, and it just, it was getting tense. It's a tense environment. So that's why we decided to leave. And we were like, we can't stay true to ourselves. And thanks to the internet, I mean, you know, we, the, the core question was, I was like, are people here because of the Hill or are they here because of Crystal and I? And I'm like, I think I know the answer to that. And a, as time went on, I was like, it was clear, like, it's about us. And look, it doesn't hurt. Rogan said that he would have us on and he would help us launch. So it's like, yeah, it's a pretty good guarantee of at least like moderate success out of the gate. Amazing. That's, amazing. That, that's a great story. So one of the questions yeah. that we had was, uh, how did Breaking Points have like hundreds of thousands of subscribers on day one? And I think the, the summary here that I'm hearing is that uh, you, Cigar, are a person who's intrinsically interested in politics and society mm -hmm. and just the milieu of the state of culture and things. And the current, uh, st the current world, the, the, the world of politics, is just not conducive to, like, true expression. And, like, yes. knowing that you've been a podcaster for, like, a decade now, that means uh, that you are a person who likes to express themselves. I can speak from experience here. Uh, and you need long format, uh, you need long formats and not to be have any top-down control as to what you say in order to fully express yourself. Uh, and so you slowly just, like, exited from that, the, the, it's like the being in the world of politics, you need to fit inside of a certain mold in order mm -hmm. to exist there for any certain like a long amount of time. And you were just like resistant to that mold, like F your mold, get get out of here. Me and this other person, Crystal, who I'm probably super resonant with, are going to F off and do our own media institution, one that promotes raw authenticity and unfiltered thoughts that are like interesting and true about the world. And like it just makes me like. Uh, just rem reminds me of just like so much of the demand there was for like Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, who yes. I think are two very authentic people, whether you disagree with them or not. But the reason why they had so much support was because of their raw authenticity. And like, why, why did breaking points have so much uh, success in, in day one is like, everyone is tired of the goddamn charade yeah. in politics. And we yeah. just want some real humans to have long form, elaborate thoughts into our ears uh, and so we can actually move forward as a society. That's like my summary for, for why this, why breaking points did so well. Thank you, man. It's very kind. Uh, I think you're right. And you know, it, there are a lot of costs like when you are here, right? As in you don't get invited to this stuff anymore. Like if you, if you want to be a company, man, you're going to have a job your whole life. Like if you want to be a traditional right wing commentator or left wing commentator, you will never be unemployed. It's impossible. Like you will get these fake fellowships and you get to invited to these fake parties you know, and these galas and black tie and all this stuff. And, every, you know, inevitably, every single one of those invites uh, dries up. And that's part of the problem is that it's it's a self-reinforcing system. They employ each other. They're friends with each other. And to say even one dissident thing has big, big great social cost to you. And uh, that's one of those things. You have to be willing to just let go of it. 
you just have to say, I don't care anymore. I, I, I just, one of those, one of those areas where you can't care and you have, you, ha- you really have to accept, like, you're just not going to have friends because so much of the system is built on teams. And mm-hmm. when you're independent by definition, like you're not playing for a team, you have to say what you actually think. It feels like 1984 where like you have to always have your guns out being yeah. prepared for the next person who's going to ax you and turn you in for saying the wrong thing. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I, I really faced this during the Trump thing, uh, during Stop the Steal. I got so much pressure from the right to validate this. And I was like, I, I was like, guys, I was like, this is bullshit. Like, where does that pressure I, come from? Like, are you talking about when you were at the Hill or? No, no, this was, this is like friends, like people who uh, are in the right wing kind of commentator system. They were like, I thought you were one of us. Like he's a cuck <laughs> now, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, I'm not a cuck. I'm a cuck. Cause I think the election wasn't stolen. It's like, maybe you are like, it's like, you know, like maybe you're the cuck. You're the guy. You're the guy who literally is taking their cues from Trump and and is so af- so afraid of pissing off your cultivated like right wing only audience that you're not willing to say what you actually think. Like put two drinks in any one of these guys and like they all know it's bullshit. And I was and you know we're lucky because we have right left audience. So I was like, look, if you really don't want to listen to me because I'm not going to validate this, I'm like, fuck off. I'm like, I don't care. Do you know, do you know what? Okay, so two things yeah. I want to you know. To, uh, test you about this is just like you know creator to creator kind of independent sure. like that's what we're doing at bankless but it's like okay so there's one one question line of question i have which is like how do you deal with all of that just um backlash like yeah. how do you deal with all of the just dickheads on twitter like mm-hmm. h- how do you deal with all of the um negativity and hate that seems surface and, and honestly it doesn't really matter what you do Stalker, like you're gonna get it. I mean, we get yes, it at Bankless. Um, <laughs> and people blame us for things we think are unfair. You know, like y- you you want to be as a creator open to the the feedback from your community, so you can't completely shut it out. And yet, if you like let your mind be completely open to that, it can mm-hmm. really taint how you see yourself you in the world. By them. You can get yeah. captured by that too. So that is a different form of pressure. It's not the you know your boss at the cable news company saying, hey, you can't say this and this because Hillary Clinton called. Mm-hmm. But it is like, I don't know, the social media pressure. So, like, so that's my first question. It's like, how do you, uh, how do, you deal in that world? Because well, I'm having I trouble. Actually, <laughs> I consider myself lucky from coming from the realm of politics. Is, okay. It's a blood sport. Like, so for me, it's like, this is the game. Like, yeah. I, I, you signed oh, up for you it? Know, I knew what I was getting into. Yeah, exactly. Like, by definition, what is the one thing they always say never to talk about? Religion and politics, right? And so I did that from the beginning. Like for me, it was built in that no matter what you say, half the people are going to be extremely pissed off at at it. And that has just been the case for me like from the beginning. That said, I mean, look, you're right. The advice I would give is to try – well, so Rogan – there's a lot, a lot of different schools of thought. Rogan is of the thought, don't even read the good stuff because the good stuff uh, is just as poisonous to you as the bad. So just and don't by read that, any of it? Right, because the uh, to just look, you guys have a successful podcast and you have an audience. Like, of what the real question you need to ask is like, of what utility am I getting out of this, especially relative to the type of content that I'm producing? I would like to split the difference, and I'm lucky actually because we have paying subscribers, and so those are the people that I actually pay attention to way more so than yeah. the casual. So mm-hmm. one guy drops in for one YouTube video. Like, look, no offense, I appreciate the view, but if you leave a negative comment, like, I don't care. But if you're one of our $10 a month, like paying subscribers, and you have like a long critique of something that you used to like, and you haven't seen in a while and would like to see more because you want the show to succeed. Yeah, I'll read that. I I, I would consider that. 
Um, and mm-hmm. also, if you tell me something that you really, really liked about the show, X, Y, and Z, I'll be like, oh, that's that's useful. And you can try and aggregate it. My, You know what my real advice is? Try and meet people in person as much as possible. Because uh, that's what David said. The, that, the, <laughs> the online stuff is all bullshit. So I cannot tell you bullshit, how much I have learned from meeting my fans in person. Like walking mm-hmm. down the street and somebody says, hey, you know, I'll tell you about rising and breaking points. Something I didn't even realize. Production value. So many people have told me in person, not on, uh, not on, nev- never in the comments. I love your show because I feel like I can send it to my dad, and it's not a guy in the basement who uh, is articulating my thoughts. So it's like somebody that my parents might feel like they mm. could respect um, and will, will understand, but understand my politics, like the frustration that I feel with the system, the fact that you guys are trained. You know, uh, from the mainstream media perspective, you know, you're educated, you use diction, prop, you know, like speak well, all the little things, which shouldn't matter, but obviously matter. I'm, you know, here, you know, it's crypto, so I'm wearing my hoodie. But uh, like when I do my <laughs> show, like tie. I wear a suit, like yeah. I, I wear a full suit. I'm very proud of the way that I dress because I think that it conveys that I'm taking this job very seriously. Like I'm taking it. It's a serious endeavor of which I prepare a lot for in order to convey this message in a format that they appreciate, but more importantly, they feel appreciate it to, to share. And I was actually really validated, you know, today that you, the day that you and I are filming the Spotify rap thing just came out yeah, and, uh, we, uh, turns out we were one of the top, like in the top what, 1% globally of shared podcasts. Wow. So people really felt like, like to share, I mean, that's the ultimate validation of your content, right? To not only consume, but to say, you have to listen to this. So that's something that I take really seriously. And uh, and again, I really only learned it from meeting people in person. So I would encourage you guys to do like live events, oh, that's not deep. even online. I'm talking in person, like face to face. That is, that is the key. Well, David, David is a conference king. He's been to like, yeah. f- like 15 and I haven't been, but like live events is sort of interesting. I, okay. So like, um, thank you for that. Sagar, I think that's really good advice. And uh, I, I do think that um, crypto can be every bit as blood sporty as, uh, as politics oh, can, uh, these yeah. days. Sometimes worse because we have tokens involved. Yeah, we have tokens <laughs> and we have like scammers and we yeah, have well. like, yeah. Um, okay. And then it also blends religion as well. Like some of these, you know, oh, yeah, crypto yeah. communities are like quasi-religious. All right. The, the other piece I was curious about, because when we were talking about like the problems with mainstream media, Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're sort of describing some like personal experience. I want to see if we can extrapolate that, but it just, it, it feels like, um, if I were to sum that up in one word, it would be capture yes. captured like mainstream media, institutional media seems like it's captured. I mean, if Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton can call somebody from their staff and just get them to not say a certain thing that that is, um, capture. And so it, it's great that you and Crystal are able to escape that. I think like Look, um, financial media is also captured. Big hedge funds, CNBC. Who do you think watches those shows, right? Uh, CNBC Finance, same thing. Bankless, that's why they don't talk about crypto. They don't give it good coverage. It's not, that's why Bankless has found its niche. But I guess the question for you is like, how do you and Crystal prevent getting captured yourselves? Great question. All right, because like you were talking about business model piece here, but like (laughs) that could still come in. I mean, you could still, like we know how this works. In order to get the person an interview, you might have to say some things, mm-hmm. for instance, right? So there's there's guest capture. There's also like if you if you have any sponsorship revenue, maybe there's sponsorship capture. And do they have an inf- do they have anything to do with what you say? You can also get like Sam Harris talks about this. 
captured by your community too. Oh yeah. So sometimes time. that can be like, you can't say anything. You've built this community that believes one thing. And then Sagar comes out and he's, he's like saying something contrary to the faith. And then like the faithful are like, wait, you can't say that I'm quitting. Like uh, no more subscription for me. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on this uh, topic of capture? It's a great question. And actually that's another thing I'm so proud of is that we thought about this from top to bottom before, before it was launched, like we conceived of it specifically to not fall into this. So for example, you talked about sponsorships. We don't do any host read ads. All the ads on our podcast are uh, dynamically inserted by Mm -hmm. megaphone. So it's basically like a YouTube ad, but in podcast form, do we make one tenth the amount of money? Correct. Uh, is it worth it to not have somebody call me and say, I didn't like what you said about Balenciaga? Yeah, it is. Um, and that's also why we are able to pitch to say, hey, $10 a month, like pay for the premium subscription. On that front, this is another benefit of doing a genuine right-left show is part of the va- part of what you're signing up for is by definition to hear something that you don't necessarily agree with half of the time when Crystal is speaking or when I'm speaking. So we've kind of cultivated an environment and an audience itself, which doesn't cancel because of something that you say about, you know, one-off. Look, some people have, um, you know, in the past, I remember during Afghanistan, a lot of people wanted us to criticize Biden. And I was like, no, I was like, I support this policy. And we, we can get into that if you want. And I was like, I'm, I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, I've been waiting my whole life for, to get out of Afghanistan. And I was like, I've never seen a war end in a good way. And while, yeah, I think it's shameful, like certain things weren't tactically done. I was like, it's better than the alternative, which is spending $300 million a year for nothing to get guys get blown up in IEDs and just stay there for the next 15 years for a fake cause and a fake military and a fake government. And that was very controversial. That was, you really weren't going to hear that. And a lot of people were pissed off. And same thing. It was built in from the ground up of if a certain segment cancels, so be it. And also we have three-legged stool of revenue. We got podcast revenue, YouTube revenue, and premium revenue, all three of which kind of reinforce each other. So I thought about it from the business perspective, but it's also baked in kind of, like I said, ideologically of, look, uh, you're not always going to agree. That's fine. Um, the whole core tenant of the show is you can disagree and you can also still arrive at some very basic starting points and conclusions, which are good for you and they'll make you a happier person. So how, how when you talk to Crystal and you're, you're on the show, do you ever get like meta about this as in like the construction of the business and the business model? Yeah, because like right, right now, like uh, bank, bankless, we have like a lot of the similar business models, revenue sources that you do mm-hmm. uh, sponsor revenue, which is synonymous with podcasts and the, and the YouTube. They're the same sponsors. Right. Uh, we also have like our inner circle uh, where you can get like the ad free uh, premium feed and you get to be in, in the inner circle. And that's when you were talking about like uh, receiving advice from people that you know are paying you $10 a month or whatever. Uh, then like we, we kind of have that same thing. Do you ever like talk about the philosophy of your own business while on breaking points? Do you ever like yes. get meta about it? Yeah, it actually just happened. Uh, one of our shows was blocked manually by FIFA. We've been doing a lot of criticism of FIFA and the Qatari government. And this is just amazing to me. They pulled off our video, uh, which was about the Iranian team refusing to sing the national anthem, which was an act of great courage. And they manually hit us with copyright to block our entire video. Wait, wait, and is look, this on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, it was on YouTube. Oh, wow. Um, and, and not only that, they actually we have an unlisted feed that goes to our premium subs, a, a video link. They blocked that too. 
which is kind of wow. amazing. And I can, I, I mean, look, it's a blatant violation of the fair use doctrine, which, if, you know, for a basic explanation is that you are allowed to use copyrighted material as long as it is not the core tenant of your video. It has news value and you're using it to talk and convey about something else within two minutes of content. It was 10 seconds, clearly, clearly within the bounds of fair use. And it was, you know, it was abused by FIFA because they don't want people to talk about that, probably covering for the Iranian regime. And anyway, we did a whole segment about that and we were explaining to the audience, we're like, look, this is why we built our business this way. I mean, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, our videos get demonetized. We know we're getting screwed with algorithmically uh, for things that we're talking about. And this uh, this isn't even a censorship argument. YouTube is a business. The economy is in the shitter right now. They have ad CPMs they have to hit. So how do you do that? You recommend anodyne bullshit content about giving $15,000 away to a homeless guy. And then you serve a ton of ads on top of that. Like you don't serve videos about Russia and Putin and nuclear war or a deep dive into, I don't know, like Chinese protests because that's controversial. And this is a fight that I've had with them so many times, even in person. I've told YouTube this in person. I'm like, look, you guys claim you want to be a place for news. Sometimes the news is bad. Sometimes the news is really fucking bad. It's sad. People get raped. People get killed children you know exploited like but we are in a society like you have to talk about that and so for us like our business is built such that we can talk about that even when we know that we're, we're gonna take a hit like there's one version of breaking points which is only youtube ad supported that's a nightmare i know what that looks like that's just chasing clicks chasing clout stupid ass reaction videos and then there's the version that we have right now you know, sometimes we'll do like 25, 30 minute uh, deep dives into Russian nuclear doctrine. You just can't do that anywhere else. And I, and, th- and that's what I love about it. Yeah, I, I love it too. And I, honestly, yeah. I think this form of media is going to eat some of the like kind of, I mean, people see sort of the corruption. They see the capture. They're not stupid. They're, they know. They come for the, they sign up for the in-depth conversation. But let me ask you, so you are a creature like us of um, social media and like digital media, right? And mm-hmm. um, that's kind of a double-edged sword, right? So like, I get, I guess a few a few thoughts to prompt this conversation because I want to get your perspective on like, you know, social media, good or bad media, good or bad. Well, one thing that's cool about um, like podcast and YouTube is like podcast. We have an RSS feed. We control yeah. that RSS feed. It's ours. It's like a, right. a nice protocol that we can use to distribute. And we decentralized technology, it's decentralized technology. RSS, right. Yeah. And so like we can put it out on Spotify, but we're not dependent on Spotify and put it out on Apple. We're not dependent on them. If you don't like those products, if they somehow delisted us, then go spin up a, another podcast mm-hmm. player and, and you can get our podcast. YouTube is not like that, right? Like there's no RSS feed for YouTube. We're kind of, and we've been to platform before, um, I think like 24 hours or something. They just pulled really? all of our crypto content. Yeah. And, you know, the CEO of, of YouTube reached out. They apologized, that sort of thing. But it's like an algo flagged us and they're talking about crypto. No good. So... And so we have that piece of it, right? It's not as decentralized as we'd like it to be, of course. And then the the other piece we have is um, and social media can be a place where, I mean, David and I met on social media, right? Like we get so much information. I get so much enrichment from like sources like Twitter, for example. I, I do think it's the base layer. Of, like you're talking about Powell. He logs in. He gets like, yeah. that's how he decides when to move the rates. I mean, this is a wealth of information sits at the bottom of society, but it's also this place of uh, outrage. It's also this, like all of this um, 
you know, it's hard to verify things, this kind of disinformation that, that goes on as well. And so people have different answers to that. It's like, let's censor it. Let's not censor it. What's your, what's your take on social media in general? Is it good? Sure. Is it bad? How have you leveraged it? What have you learned about it? And where do you think it should go? So I have a complicated relationship like you guys. You think I'd be sitting here if it wasn't for social media? In 1990, <laughs> I'm chasing a Fox News show, which I'm lucky to get in you know, at 56 years old. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, yeah, look, I'm just going to look at the good. I think that, like you said, Ryan, you and I connected because of social media. That's how I know what you guys are. When the SBF thing happens, what do I do? I look into the deep dive. I read a good profile. I go back and I watch, you know, Eric Voorhees interview with you guys. We're on the confrontation. I go, you know, I can look at 12, 15 different sources all at once. I can see aggregate and awesome Twitter threads. And yeah, look, I mean, I think it's just incumbent upon us, um, as people and, Look, I think it is what you it is what you make of it. And you can control your user experience if you want to. I think the biggest problem is self-control. And you know, maybe that's uh maybe that's a little bit too individualistic, but some of the best health and fitness content that you can consume is on Instagram. And also some of the worst in- health and fitness content you can consume is on Instagram. Uh, some of the best financial advice you will ever learn is on Twitter and some of the worst. Same with news, same uh, you know, with, with every category. So it's really incumbent upon people to use these things in a way that benefit them. And for me, I have connected and met so many people on social media that I never would have met. Otherwise, I've learned so much random information and expanded my perspectives and, and uh, just went deep and, and met even met people, you know, in real life that I've literally only have connected with on Twitter. So I look, I think it's a net positive. I think it's a net good. Uh, does that do I does that mean that there aren't existential threats around Misin, you know, the policies of misinformation, all that. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm a big believer in just regulating social media, quote unquote, with the base layer of First Amendment. If it's consistent, we have 200 years of case law with the First Amendment here in the United States. If it's consistent with the First Amendment and it's not illegal, let fly. Algorithmically, everything. Is it is it fun all the time? No. Um, but guess what? Like living in a society is not fun all the time either. <laughs> so, so on this censorship debate, like you yeah. know, Twitter uh, censorship debate, must taking over. Like, do you have a yeah. do you have a side? Do you pick a side, or what would you say about <sighs> I, this? I, I see. This is another thing. Look, I love Elon. Like, if from a just like a, a vibes perspective, like if look anybody who's ever been in a Tesla, you'll you'll think differently. <laughs> that I, I actually think that that is an important fact is like a lot of people don't actually understand how revolutionary the car itself is like you basically turned a piece of mechanical hardware into a software which is stunning i mean one of the, getting into a tesla is like the first time you saw an iphone 4 totally you remember that yeah you know the silver mm-hmm. iphone and you're like holy shit this is a phone that's what it's like getting into one it, it's insane but so i respect him from a baseline entrepreneurial level that said i think he's made he's making some mistakes i think twitter blue is a huge mistake um, and the reason why is I think what we were talking about, Jerome Powell, all of that veracity of high level, uh, high, like of elite information is probably the core value of Twitter. Everything I've read says that Twitter ads are bullshit and they're actually not particularly good ROI. Part of why the company never had major revenue like Meta or like Google. So I'm a fan of charging, like creating some sort of Twitter for enterprise product, basically tiered pricing based upon the number of followers that you have and then the number of tweets that you may want to send out paired, especially with like a customer service function. 
You know, I've, I've thought about that a lot. Like, if you ever have a problem with a company, what's the best way to get in touch with them? You tweet at them. And then American Airlines or whatever tweets back at you. Why, why do they get to do that for free? Like, that's a great, that's a, you know, the best real-time customer service software ever existed. It's like, you should charge them for it and then build, build them like a CRM customer relations thing on the back end that they can use. And they could pay a shitload of money for that and probably would. But put that aside. That's the first uh, good original take on Twitter that I've heard in a long time. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I, I've really thought uh, about that one. because. But the reason why I care is I want them to have re- recurring enterprise-level revenue yeah. so that they're not impacted by the advertisers. Because Elon is really flailing around right now. He's got a couple of, you know, the Content Moderation Council I thought was a disaster. Uh, that's exactly what Zuck did over at Facebook. We all know that it was a total clusterfuck. And then every time, when Zuck actually asked them about the whole Trump getting deplatformed thing, they, the Supreme Oversight Board was like, no, you decide. It's your company. So I'm like, look, like this is all a farce. Second, he said uh, freedom of speech is not freedom of reach, that we will uh, downrank, quote, hateful or harmful tweets. Who decides? You know, and and look, and I don't want Elon to decide. I don't want anyone to decide. That's why I said things should be consistent with the First Amendment, because then you get algorithmic treatment of everything consistent with as long as it's not illegal, as long as it's not doxing, it's a free for all. So on those couple of fronts, like I'm not a huge fan of Twitter Blue, just because I don't think it will actually enhance the Twitter experience, as evidenced by a lot of the fake accounts that happened. I want him to set up proper recurring revenue at an enterprise level that doesn't impact the veracity of information. And two, I do not think algorithmic, different algorithmic treatment of tweets is a good idea, because fundamentally, I don't trust human judgment as to what is harmful, what is misinformation, what is not, uh, what is true information. Oh, that was another one. The community notes function. I'm totally against it. I'm totally against any um, fact check ability to dispute or anything. Arrangement of facts, as I know, and as you guys know, from doing editorial stuff is by definition fact checkable. Like you can always say, you left this out. You didn't put in enough nuance. Like let everything float. If people want to correct it with replies or quote tweets or whatever, they can. I'm really just kind of saying just like let the free market take it. Yes. I mean, it's worked for 200 years. It's been a good system. (laughs) I think that like, go ahead, Ryan. Crypto people listening would have a lot of resonance in in terms of what you're saying, because what you're doing is you're going back to like um, base principles and core protocols. Like we very much think of like the constitution as a core protocol that governs society. Now that was written in, you know, penmanship and, and, you know, uh, analog documents, but we also have protocols that um, guide the internet. Right. And we're just talking about RSS. Well, that's a, a self-sovereign protocol, isn't it? Like we could take our RSS feed and go wherever we want. We don't have to distribute on Spotify or, or Apple. We can distribute wherever. Um, I, I think the problem with the internet right now is we have built so much in kind of the outside of the open internet and in kind of the application layer. This Absolutely. is very much where we see like crypto like playing a role. So like part of our solution to, to that was like, yes to the First Amendment, right, would be a crypto take. But then it's also yes to credibly neutral protocols that don't get mm-hmm. to decide. Right. So like Twitter could just be a protocol, just like email, TCP IP. Right. And you could have clients and it doesn't judge at the the base level what the text actually is. There's no human decision makers involved. There's no kind of like 
uh, governance committee that's saying this is bad and this is good and this is information, this is not. But you can layer applications on top of that and people get to choose their own experience. We've gotten away from that with um, the App Store and with the Twitter and with Facebook and that sort of thing. And that's why we, we see part of crypto is like restoring some of those values in small ways of like back to the open internet as it was originally envisioned. But it's very much base protocols type of thinking. I think everyone uh, gets caught up in this, um, well, if our guy gets control of Twitter, it's all going to be yeah. great. And right. the other side's going, no, if our person is in charge of Twitter, it's going to be great. And it's like an endless fight. And we're not solving things at the protocol layer. I don't know if you see that too, but that's what we see. I absolutely see it. And actually, my great fear is that they're coming after email, coming after mm. Google Docs. Uh, my, my biggest fear is ISP level blocks, which I do think is coming. We are one step away. We are one crazy event away from an ISP like remember the parlor parlor thing that was a big event and look i'm not saying i like parlor like i'm not saying i even like what was going on on parlor but the app store level amazon aws type deplatforming all asynchronous or all syn- synchronous despite the fact they're all different companies i think that set the stage for one day it's only one we're only one Crazy event like Jan 6, 9-11, or BLM, protests away, depending on who's in charge, from some craziness. Do you think My, this no, comes wh- through the Fed, or is this private companies doing uh, this? Hang on. Can we just take Both. a moment and actually yeah. uh, provide some clarity for people who don't know about the, what the Parler event is? And yeah, this is a, as a result of uh, Parler was like where a bunch of the alt-right went to, this new app, Twitter-like app? It was a Twitter competitor. Yeah. Twitter basically. competitor, right. And uh, a lot of the uh, alt-right January 6th insurrection movement coordination occurred there. It's like when Donald Trump got deplatformed, right. the alt-right decided that mainstream social media platforms were not welcoming to them. So they went to this place called Parler. Uh, and then there, what you're saying is there was this uh, coordinated effort to deplatform Parler, the platform, yep. from the App Store, from just wherever you can access it. And what you're saying is that that was just like too close to the metal of like base layer internet uh, protocol yes. level censorship. Well, I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, after Jan- this, this was what scared the shit out of me because I saw when that happened, the floodgates were open. The censors in Washington at the governmental level were floating a Department of Homeland Security Patriot Act 2.0 to go after Jan Sixers. And, you know, under the guise, you're like, what was happening? Well, there was a New York Times piece, I think, written by Kevin Roos, which set up the war on Signal, on the Signal protocol. And they were like, hey, some Jan Six, you know, alt-right figures signaled each other. So we need to go after you know, end-to-end encryption. That's the end game. And and it's like, the end game is going after the protocol itself. And so like, as you said, like I am a major believer in the base layers, in establishing them, keeping them neutral, keeping them out of the hands of the feds, even with the private companies, making it sure that they know. It's like, you cannot fuck with this. Because when you do, it opens up, It, it is the gates of hell. Like, and look at China right now. The protests, I mean- I don't think people understand. They can track you when you're wearing a face mask and sunglasses in the di- in the nighttime. I don't want to live in that society. I mean, we just this is like we this is a we 
hard resonate with the points that you're making. Like it yeah. is just like, and these attacks, could- it's almost exactly what we say when we talk about preserving the credible neutrality of the Ethereum protocol. These yes. are the same words. It's, yes. It's cryptography, right? And the, the nightmare scenario is like um, a, a state level ban on encryption technology. Right. And, oh my God. This, and so, but like, and to be clear, these attacks can come from the right or the left. Anyone anyone exactly look uh what the trump administration took extraordinary actions through the department of justice to pursue uh emails of journalists and uh subpoenas and that's you know that's another black box that all three of us we have no idea like the feds can access your information with basically nothing and then on top of that you know look the point is they can they can't go read the wired article that recently came out about the Google dragnet over January 6th. They used subpoenaed location data from thousands of people based on cell tower pings to find out exactly who was at a protest and geolocate them and then use that in court on top of using cell tower data to even pull the call logs of members of Congress and senators who were inside the building on that event. Is all of this an apology for January 6th? No. But do I think that we should give up like our location data on our cell phones and normalize like AT&T just willingly giving this stuff away just because the feds are doing an investigation? Like, absolutely not. Like, we have How to this preserve this. So, so um, like uh, AT&T dials that in with the fed and then uh, disconnects your bank account. Boom. Yeah. Basically. Canada. This. Right. But, you know, that's, it's funny. The, uh, what, what happened? The, remember the Canada protest, that was the biggest story in the, the country in with Ottawa, the truckers yes. before Ukraine. They actually got kind of screwed because Russia invaded Ukraine and they like got wiped <laughs> off uh, in, in terms of, in terms of attention. But yeah, I mean, they were deleting your bank account. They're seizing crypto. I mean, I, what did you guys think of that in terms of, uh, from a crypto level? How do we get around that? We had, to, how do we get around that? This is, this is why bankless, honestly, Sagar, this is why, this is why, um, trustless peer to peer money systems. And this is our great fears. All of those things you, you mentioned, these are, um, hazards. These are, um, externalities of entering the digital world that that societies are creating there's all of these digital fingerprints that are uh imprint uh like that can be tracked and can be captured and so like one of the things we see is like cash is going away very obviously Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't use cash it's so inconvenient when i'm talking about cash i'm talking about like actual green in the u.s anyway bills in your wallet like nobody does this anymore and what was cash though well that was like peer-to-peer it was yes. private. The government couldn't get involved, and it was a bare instrument, so I could give it to you and you'd have it. Peer-to-peer transaction. In the digital world, we lose that, but we're not replacing that with anything in the traditional banking system. Yeah. Um, U.S. dollars in your Wells Fargo account, very confiscatable. It's not peer-to-peer. I, I, and so what crypto does is it preserves sort of um, access to value transmission networks um, for people in case maybe their nation state goes wrong and provi- provides a banking layer to that too um so but ryan do you remember when we were talking about 
the truckers who are getting debanked. Yes. Uh, we, we talked about this on like our, our weekly roll up show, our new show where we cover the week in the events. We talked mm-hmm. about this and, and we were like, this is bad. This is why we go bankless, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> What's interesting fr- from this, from the media perspective, we were talking about audience capture is like a decent number of our listeners came to us on Twitter and were like, well, have you guys seen some of the, yes. the bullshit that the truckers a are lot doing of in Canada? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, and and like, well, to some degree, like, no, I hadn't heard of every single thing that the truckers were doing, but like, we got blowback from our own community. It's like, well, I mean, like, we all want to go bankless, but you guys, yeah. they were effing yeah, up they're the like, ropes. are you on the side of the truckers? And we're like, no, we're on the side of base <laughs> principles. All right, like, <laughs> when you did know, we just think went seizing money is okay? I just went through this with the whole Andrew Tate thing. I don't know if you guys <laughs> know, Andrew. yeah. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. and I was like, look, I'm not saying I like Andrew Tate. But when you have a guy declared bad and then he's unpersoned from the internet in 48 hours, that's pretty scary. And yeah. everyone was like, well, is you saying Andrew Tate is okay? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, how, how do you know? How do you hard? know who's next? Who, who, who decides? I know who decides. Mm-hmm. It's Taylor Lorenz. It's mm-hmm. Brandy, whatever her name is, over at NBC News, Ben Collins. Um, these like misinformation experts, Oliver Darcy, they can, they can end you overnight like do you want to live in that world i don't want to live in that world and i yeah i don't know why it is so difficult and i empathize with that because every time because what they do is of course the point is it's always going to be an edge case guys precedents are set in the edge cases and then they creep Mm. in first it was islamic terrorism that's that's the funny thing everybody was cool when it was just islamic terrorists but you know it's funny my my career early career was writing about terrorism and i i'll vividly remember this you know, I, I was a typical, I didn't really think about it. I was like, yeah, fuck these guys. I hope they get arrested. I was reading a, uh, I was reading an affidavit by an FBI agent about a guy. You, you wouldn't even know his name. Some 19 year old who got arrested for trying to join ISIS. FBI agent goes on Twitter, sees one guy who tweeted something crazy, makes contact. Now, after making contact, they chat for 12 hours a day for like nine months. And then the FBI agent is like, hey, you should go to Syria and fight for ISIS. And the guy's like, okay, buys a ticket to Syria. That's still not enough. And then he's like, all right, I'll meet you at the airport at the gate. He shows up at the gate and they arrest him for material support to terrorism. That's 25 years in prison. I mean, we're getting real close to entrapment there. Mm, <laughs> like, wow. It's like, because it's that question of, well, would he have bought that ticket to Syria if you never <laughs> asked him? I mean, it's up in the air, right? And there's, a, by the way, there are a lot of cases like this. There was this guy named the Herald Square Bomber. If you look into it, they basically told him to do it. They set the whole thing up. They were like, go buy it from this guy, the bomb materials, all of this. And, you know, now it's it's a question of like, you know, we had the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping case. Like you had 14 people involved, 12 are FBI informants. It's like how many – there's more feds involved in this case than there are actual Soccer, It sounds uh, like you support terrorism though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's so like – I. I I do want to. Uh, so we've been talking about a lot about like censorship and the way that yeah. it relates to media, and I do want to uh, to zoom back out a little bit to dive down into a slightly different uh, rabbit hole. One one of the ethos uh, sagas about crypto is that we have this like blank slate to do everything again mm-hmm. from scratch, right? Like we can rebuild this system and hopefully not f it up this time uh, because our current systems are lar- largely captured, corrupted, and broken. Um, and so one of the new pillars out of this new industry that we call crypto is, of course, the, the new media, new media institutions. Uh, and there's plenty of media institutions inside of crypto. Uh, we have like the journalists the, and the news desks like Coindesk and The Block. Yeah. 
we have like smaller, more uh, indie reporting uh, entities like The Defiant and, and Bankless. Uh, but since we have this blank new slate of media institutions, do you have uh, any advice for us now that we have this new slate to not F it up? Uh, yeah. Like what, what, do you, what lessons do you have from breaking points that, that we should apply in this crypto industry to make sure that this whole system can perpetuate into the future without corruption? Start with uh, first principles. Start with building it so that you can't go awry in the way that they did. And the way that it, everything went awry for them ultimately came down to centralization. Back in the, I actually encourage you guys to read about the history of cable news. It's fascinating. There's a great biography and history of Ted Turner, of CNN, what it was originally conceived of, how everybody thought it, uh, cable was so stupid, 24-hour coverage. Ultimately, it led to the partisan wars driven by a variety of things from ratings to budgets from the rise of MSNBC, eventually to Roger Ailes creating Fox News and, and basically creating in 1996 the media environment that we all recognize today which was set on fire by the Monica Lewinsky scandal. It's actually relatively recent, the world that we're mm. all living in right now. It's a hopeful story because you can read that and say, oh, here's the exact time when everything went wrong. It was Lewinsky when everybody came obsessed with that. And then it was 9-11, a uniparty move of using this new material, this new form of communication to convince the American people to go to war under uh, false pretenses. And from that period, everything stems, all of our politics today. So now we're living in this reimagining in the internet. And I still think we're very much in the infancy of the internet. Something AGM, Antonio Garcia Martinez, likes to talk about is, look, like the internet is like the printing press. You know, it, it was chaos when the printing press was invented. There was a 30 years war. You know, the internet has barely been around. Like the printing press set, uh, revolutions and the reformation, uh, religious, I yeah, mean, the reformation, yeah, like Protestant. You know, kings and queens dot, you know, like the revolutions of 1700 of then the, the glorious revolution, like so many things happened as a result of the printing press. We are in our printing press moment. So many things can happen. So to use that analogy from a media perspective, think about the incentives that were bad in finance. For financial media in particular, I think where it all went wrong was access. So what I'm reading right now is a history, uh, is a biography of Warren Buffett from, it's called Snowball. It's written in 2009. I highly recommend it. The reason why is Buffett's life effectively track and his wealth effectively tracks the U.S. financial sophistication from the day he began investing in like 1930s all the way up until he becomes the multi-billionaire, one of the richest men on the planet that it is today. A lot of it was through centralization, through access, through manipulation. And so what I would encourage you guys to do is think about how you can continue to grow and kind of stay true to an audience, not just an audience, to stay true to yourselves, information while growing growing your audience without having to succumb to the inevitable inevitability when you do surpass them because you also have to plan for an environment in which you are the new mainstream nobody at cnn and all of them ever predicted that they would be where they are today and but that was a big mistake by doing so so you kind of have to imagine and think about what it looks like whenever you are a big player because that is when a lot, you know, it's easy for me to say, like all the things I'm saying. What is it, when is it going to be harder? When, let's say, breaking points, you know, 10 years from now, and the president of the United States calls me and says, I don't agree with what you said. No matter who you are, I can tell you, I've been on the side of that phone whenever people, very, very powerful people talk to you. It's scary. It's scary. It gets in your head. And people over time, it eroded. 
Uh, they gave into that. So you have to plan and think about for uh, that time if should it inevitably come. And then you got to put the work in. That's that's the one other. thing we've tried to maximize for on, yeah. on the, um, I guess the sort of the freedom side and the autonomy side is never to be beholden to anyone. And so yes, like so never key. take venture capital, right? Correct. And because absolutely, hey, you don't have to. You could bootstrap this thing. I mean, we have the distribution technology now with the internet. Look at us. Yeah. And like, yeah, look at us. And like, look at, look us. at, us. Look at us. Yeah, look at us. <laughs> and like, yeah. um, I mean, then that gives you another master to serve. Somebody who wants their their five ten x, right? You go public, yeah. you have another set of shareholders. Um, we don't want that. I mean, we want the content creators, even myself, to be like the people making the calls. And then another aspect of that is like, um, we do have some sponsorship uh, revenue, but like we have to be willing to fire any sponsor we have at any point in time. Absolutely. And so we can't have mouths to feed on our team that would cause us to have to make some kind of compromise type decision of like, so we don't want to grow too big. Do you know, like we want to have enough margin mm-hmm. in what, how we're building. Well, you want to scale sustainably. Scale That's sustainably. And so that yeah. you always, we always have the, the ability, the leverage to be like, mm, this doesn't fit with our brand anymore. You did this, see you later. And we're, not afraid to tell you that like you know your, your product was shit we thought it was good and was shit like we have to have that ability to fire um our sponsors so that's another piece that um i guess we got to maximize and, and but do you think it's inevitable that new media just like destroy like eats old media or do you think these like i don't know cable news msnbcs are like because i could tell you people in my yeah. age group i mean i don't like consume any of that all my media is internet media basically it's podcasts it's like sources that i trust like I, I don't trust what's happening on fox news or cnn so like i don't i don't tune in there my what i have done many monologues on is we're in the phase where they're waking up so now yeah. they know so previously it was you don't exist so if you ask people in washington before they'd be like oh he's wasting his time with youtube you know whatever that's how they love to denigrate you youtube as if youtube isn't the most powerful is way more powerful than uh cable news now it's Oh, he's an asshole. He's been saying this stuff on his show. So now they're at a point, they they get it. They know it exists. But next is the war. And the war is where the danger comes because that is when they start to pressure exactly what I was talking about. The ISPs, they start to pressure YouTube. They start to try and strike preferential deals. They use their legacy brand and influence to effectively guarantee them a place at the table that they don't deserve. So I don't think it's inevitable. I think it will be a massive think it's a fight. You know, another way that Uh-oh. they might fight the war is um, uh, bribe. Bribe the death. Well, a bribe. I'd, yeah. I'd be like, oh, breaking yeah. points. Okay, I'm CNN. This is a real thing now. Right. Like, um, How about an acquisition? Yeah, I'd be like, fuck you. I, but, but again, like how many people are going to say fuck you? Some people, right. listen, I mean- I've 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 been there when a certain ball shaving company offered us a lot of money to read an ad, and I was like, no, no, yeah, it's just it's one of those things where, uh, but it's a surreal moment, and you know you have to you have to be you have to think and you have to have that wherewithal to say like, look, there's something much bigger at stake here than like the check that you're offering me. So it's one of those things where unfortunately, like we're going to have to pass on this for a lot of people though. That's a difficult decision to make. You're right. I think that, but honestly, I don't think they will come to that because by definition for all of us to succeed, we have had to do things which are just not capable of operating in that environment. 
Like, I could not get hired by CNN. I have insulted and gone after almost every single major anchor on that network. Like, it's not possible for me to be congruent with their brand. Almost same with Fox. Same with uh, MSNBC. So when I— I don't think banks would hire me or Ryan either. Right, exactly. Like, you guys are done. And that's a good thing, <laughs> No, that's— Well, but could you ever work thing. for someone again, yeah. Sager? I mean, probably not, No, right? I, don't yeah. think, I don't think so. You're broken yeah. from that. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah, like, true. Okay. Okay. So um, yeah. we've got a few more things we want to cover with you. Yeah, and I, I'm almost tempted, like, because there's a few things we want to ask is like, just to blitz this next, uh, this next section. Be my guest. Can we just hit yeah. politics really quick? Another broken institution. Sure. And I'm going to ask the real, because like, this is not a politics show. So, but I want to ask the real, maybe the dumb questions that are on top of the mind for, for, for me anyway, when I look at um, politics. Okay. So um, the first is what about 2024? Who's going to be running? Okay. Who's going to win? Is this a Biden versus Trump thing again? Like, do we have to do Most that likely. again? Really? Most likely, yes. My God, I, I don't see. I don't see a current uh, way out of that predicament. There's front a couple runners, of both ways. The front runners of the. Yes, I believe. I believe, like status quo right now, Donald Trump and Joe Biden will be the nominees of their major parties, and will be headed up against each wow. other. Wow. Several things could happen. What are the odds that if Joe Biden is elected, that he dies in four uh, years? Actuary uh, tables. Uh, I was going to say, take a look at an actuarial table, my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, not good <laughs> for him. Um, uh, look, I there are sep- there are a couple of ways out of this. One is either man dies. Possible. They're both eight. They're both like uh, Biden just turned 80. I think believe Trump is 78. So that's very possible. Distinct. Second, Trump is indicted and convicted. Indictment does not preclude conviction. So that's possible. Conviction could be one way to take him out. Although uh, it's not without precedent that you can run for president from prison. So that could set up an interesting um what that would be interesting a socialist candidate did it in like 1920 something i forget i forget his name but it is possible legally it's been declared bring you out great question no they have to come to you yeah (laughs) like i don't know i don't know what that would look like so that's that's one you know he could get invited he could get convicted uh the third and least likely possibility in my opinion is that he's defeated in a gop primary um, by another candidate, and I don't see a viable path for any candidate currently that the prospective candidate. Not, that not even that DeSantis, Florida guy. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I could go. I could give you a long spiel. I, I've done it many times, but the most basic is this, which is that if you look at preference for the DeSantis hype, the truth is is that it's almost all college-educated GOP voters who prefer him in an actual head-to-head matchup with Trump. Trump, in terms of the base, has a deeply special relationship. He's the most popular Republican in the party since Ronald Reagan. Uh, and his his level of support and enthusiasm, specifically amongst the primary base, is so intense. Second, in any world where DeSantis were to run against Trump, there would be several other candidates. So, for example, Mike Pence is thinking about running right now, Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, um, several senators, uh, Asa Hutchinson, who's the governor of Arkansas. So, by definition, the anti-Trump vote will then get diluted. So, the only way that it might work if it was in a head-to-head matchup, but even in head-to-head, I don't personally see okay. it. I could be totally wrong, but right, I've well, been wrong a lot. Okay, so I don't all right. Know. So, yeah. uh, how about this then? Because this dovetails to the next question. If that's the lineup, probability of a civil war all right of like some actual conflict right like i'm i'm like it was a zero probability for me like five years ago it's no longer a zero probability event what what do you think about this is this a possibility i 
You know, it's funny. I think if tr- if the GOP had done much better during the midterms, I actually would have said yes. Uh, not not because of not war, but like violence. And the reason why is that would have set us up for like genuine constitutional crises. Like if a uh, Doug Mastriano wins the gu- gubernatorial election in Pennsylvania, like he straight up said he wouldn't certify the election. Uh, you know, in. 20 uh in 2020 and the be- governor of pennsylvania selects the secretary of state but in all of the major battleground states not only do the state legislatures stay democratic or go more democratic the secretary of state candidates or the gubernatorial candidates in charge all won their races so that will set us up for a less high wire scenario that we had in Georgia and Arizona last time around, which set the stage for stop the steal and the lack of election certification at the uh, at the capital level. So I'm less worried about that, Ryan, than you are. Although, look, I mean, anything can happen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk, uh, do a blitz through yeah. uh, economic stuff, too. Um, it kind Great. of feels like um, the American dream is dead, that old institution. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, two, two factors. One is inflation. The other is wealth inequality. Um, let's talk inflation first. Uh, who's to blame for inflation? It's a multifaceted question. Um, if I, well, what type of inflation? Where? Oh, that's uh, a, do you mean thank in the past? You. Thank you for asking now? that question. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like the type yeah. of inflation that we talk about on Bankless is like yeah. people people mistake they think inflation is just CPI, but there's yes, also another right. piece of inflation which is asset price inflation, which is like Correct. wealth inflation. You have to take both those into account, but few do when they talk about inflation. But um, yeah, I guess maybe past the last, let's call it 10 to 15 years, and then now now kind of current in both forms, asset price inflation and uh, CPI inflation. So asset inflation obviously has to do with Federal Reserve zero interest rate policy over the last like 15 years has just dramatically changed. I think our entire society is not grappled yet with what non-zero interest rate looks like. That's why like we're all teetering on recession, Uh, you know. Uh, you see all of these major companies, Walmart and you know Google and all these other cutting or uh, downsizing for the first time, Amazon even downsizing slightly. A lot of that has to do with debt on their balance sheet that has just been zero for a long time that they have to start paying down. You know, it's interesting actually it's having big media plays. Discovery, which is the new controller of CNN, they've got $67 billion in debt that they have to deliver on um, over the, like a five to 10 year period which is uh, having them curtail jobs over at CNN actually today in terms of layoffs. So asset price, like I definitely think that's mostly Federal Reserve. Um, The secondary part on CPI, that's a much more multifaceted question. That has to do with demand, pandemic, uh, supply chains. If To be honest, maybe this is unpopular with crypto guys. I think a lot of it is supply chain right now. Um, because it's a confluence of demand, both from government printing and spending and people cash in their pockets on top of unprecedented, like unprecedented demand combined with a supply crunch historically, you know, both from the invasion of Ukraine and just general chaos shipping and all of that, uh, post pandemic. So it's a, it's a tough one. There is no one size fits all answer to that question i'm glad to hear you say like yeah. central bank and the fed because uh i think the politicians don't often talk about that and i don't know why maybe it's just they don't get it's it difficult. They don't do they understand yeah. they, they're like, just smarter than they than they talk i think no no <laughs> all right yeah yeah some of them Good are to know. So, I mean, every once in a while uh but i would say you're a replacement level member of congress 
No. All right. Well, let's. Well, that's yeah. it's a very bleak uh, image of our it, it leadership. Is. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk crypto real quick. So, um, sure. Can, can you give us the perspective first of all on FTX? Like we've been in the bubble. You know, you mentioned the the Voorhees and SBF yeah. um, uh, d- debate, which had a role to play in 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 some of this, of course. But um, we're very conscious of crypto's looking real bad to outsiders, and it doesn't yes. matter how much people like Bankless say. But it was just another bank where we tr- trust with our private keys. This was not peer to peer. This was not real crypto. Everyone outside's like, yeah, sure, guys, uh, another scammer in crypto. What else is new? Um, mm-hmm. How does this appear on the outside? What's your impression of it? What do you think the like the media's impression of this is? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's not. Good. <laughs> uh, people, <laughs> like, people are not happy. Uh, I just did a video about how I lost several thousand dollars on BlockFi. Uh, ah, so that I'm happened sorry. to me. I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, no, nah, it's all right. Look, it was greed. Here's the thing: they're paying nine percent interest. I should have known. You know, it turns out FDIC, FDIC uh, exists for a reason, especially whenever it's banks. Let's put that aside. Uh, I think, look, it's bad, but there's an opportunity. FTX is not even a story about crypto, to be honest. Like that, that is a Theranos level Enron tale of corruption of fraud uh so there's so much to say and think about it there's the political angle in terms of trying to buy influence and work with the sec and to, or to try and get regulated and and, and uh, bring his quasi-regulatory framework through humongous amounts of political donations there's that level that's a story in its own there's the media level of and you know this is what i think the real blame is is that the media has not done a good job of explaining like what crypto is there's crypto like actual like peer-to-peer money. There is crypto companies like the BlockFi's, the Coinbase's, the Gemini's of the world. They call them crypto banks. Crypto banks, good. That's that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, there's crypto like banks. Then there are like the charlatan, uh, like the crypto influencers. So, you know, for FTX to be branded the quote crypto or SBF to be granted the quote crypto emperor, you know, in the New York Times and clearly because he not only donated to their best ideology, but like really believed or at least fronted that he believed in it. I don't know. It's it's a fascinating kind of tale. That said, mm-hmm. I do think it's an opportunity, you know, from the Phoenix or from the ashes rise of Phoenix. So maybe it's a good opportunity, especially if Gemini goes bust, which I think is probably you could tell me doesn't look good for them uh based on what i've seen right now i think it's an opportunity to get back to first principles so like for me i got into crypto well before any of the explosion of all of this wealth i met balaji Srinivasan in like 2017 and no way. yeah and so he was somebody who was explaining to me he, you know that, that from first principles yes That's from first principles and also this was in the age of bitcoin maximalism uh talking about like bitcoin as like a uh, bitcoin and of crypto as an alternative to the social forces and, you know, the monetary forces that were pushing us in a more centralized, I really vibed with that. And I have not, something along the way changed to let's all just get fucking rich. And I think this is a good opportunity. Let's get back to that. Cause that was cool, man. That, that yeah. I was a big believer in that. That's why I got into Bitcoin in the first place. How much of the uh, breaking points community is like crypto people? Like how much of our community and your uh, community overlap? I don't know. It's hard to say. I probably have a much less online audience. Does that make sense? They're more. They're a lot more like. Not. I don't yeah. mean this in a derogatory way. Like they're normies. Like they're like living their lives. Yeah. 
This I'm probably the only news they really consume. They're aware of crypto. They probably heard somebody talk about it uh, in terms of like personal assets invested, probably higher than the general population. And it typical for a millennial or Gen Z or Gen X type person who is willing to flirt with it, but generally doesn't know a whole lot. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, um, Sagar, do you have any um, advice in terms of um, how crypto can kind of repair? It sounds like you're you're saying go back to first principles, right? Go back to maybe yeah the bankless thesis of like peer to peer money, which is don't store yes. your money in crypto banks and um, you know verify, don't trust that sort of thing. Is it more than that? Can can we do a better job communicating our message? I mean, you said media isn't talking about this well, and they're certainly not. But like, how do how do we do better on this front? Probably the toughest element is going to have to be, and this is uncomfortable, is calling people out when they're doing really, really well. I mean, I think there was a big opportunity to call out SBF and some of these guys and just be like, this guy is a fucking fraud. <laughs> um, and I know that's really uncomfortable. Like, I, I yeah. get it. Um, when, Especially when they're on top. It, anyone can say it now. Seven months ago, this kid's a multi-billionaire. You know, like, who am I to say it? But let me tell you, there's currency in saying it. There's currency in challenging it. There's currency in calling out the charlatans. And there's currency in staying true to who you are. And as we have all learned through this time period, like for me, the only guys in crypto that I'm still really like, like the people who I know who were into it well before anybody was getting rich, well, well before, they're the guys that I'm sticking with. You know, because we've ridden out the wave and, and most of them were calling out the NFTs and some of the other insanity that was happening and they're still in the game. And so like, again, it's, it's, it's an opportunity right now. Like it's, it yeah. really is. Um, there's a lot of disaffection and that's okay. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it kind of goes back to that, uh, for episode really, who was like standing for base he crypto was. protocols. Yeah, he and he, he's been in, in it since like 2013, right? He's been here for the right Dude, reasons. Yeah. He, you know, so, I remember reading about him. Yeah, and, and very, very of, different. The, the like OG the class books. of the OGs, yeah. the class of uh, Voorhees, class of um, <laughs> Balaji, the you know class yeah. of even Vitalik. So, um, Sagar, this has been a pleasure, man. I feel like we could go on another hour, um, but uh, you're just really fun to talk to. <laughs> and I think you. we found like our, our sibling um, political. In, in the, politics. Yeah. yeah, the bankless of politics in uh in breaking points so it's uh, really cool to talk to you i'm glad we can make this happen shout out to you guys i'm a fan um you guys did a fantastic job with that sbf uh eric Voorhees thing i i'm gonna try and give you guys more credit for that because i think you really deserve it uh you you, you've you built like a genuine space and a a platform where no bullshit in in the area completely full of bullshit and uh you deserve a lot of applause for that so i wish you guys nothing but success thanks a lot man we appreciate you and some action items for the bankless community today uh, number one, you got to go subscribe to Breaking Point Podcast on YouTube and in RSS. Uh, this is my wife's favorite podcast above Bankless, oh, by the way. Shout out to your wife. Yeah, no. Shout out to your wife, Ryan. I also enjoy it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, and also, Sagar hosts a, another podcast. We'll include a link to it. It's called the Realignment Podcast. Um, there was a book mentioned. Anytime a book gets mentioned, as is tradition, we include it in the show notes. It's called Snowball. Uh, go check that out if you're interested. And of course, got to end with this risk and disclaimers. We always let you know at this point in the show that none of this has been financial advice. Crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we're headed west 
This is The Frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.